Hey! Welcome to From Skirts to Scrubs. I'm Charlotte. And I'm Alicia. And we are two medical students trying to figure out our place in medicine by looking to the past and to current events to try and understand the impact they have on us as women in medicine and as women in general. Yes, and you can find and follow us on social media. We have an Instagram and a Facebook. Our handle is at From Skirts to Scrubs. We have a Twitter which is at FSTS underscore podcast. And you can always check out our website for more information on our episodes, show notes, sources, merch, et cetera. And that is from scrubs.com. Yeah. And if you enjoy our episodes, you can also subscribe to us on any podcasting app you would like. And then if you want, you can leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It's just the best place to do that. It is. Hey, it's me. <laughs> it's Alicia. It's my first episode of the season. So fun. Yay. So today we are going to be diving into the field of internal medicine. Ooh. I know. So interesting. <laughs> so foreign. It's such a foreign concept. But we're going to be talking about what internal medicine is, diving into the different specialties, touching on them a little bit, and Uh, just clarifying some stuff. And then we'll be chatting a little bit at the end about women and experiences within internal medicine and go from there. Great. Char, I wanted to start by, of course, asking you uh, what you already know about internal medicine as a field, what's included Mm. in it, what's not, just whatever you want to share. Feel free to take it away. Yeah. So I always think of internal medicine as like the bread and butter of medicine. Like it is medicine. Like it's all of the, if you think of medical school as organ systems, which is like the heart is an organ system and your GI tract is an organ system. So I always think of like all the big main organ systems that are like in the trunk of your body that's internal medicine. That's kind of how I think of it. Like (laughs) if it's in your arms, it's not internal. Like if it's in your legs, if it's in your head, no, like it's just neck between neck and, um, a little bit above the pelvis actually, because anything like reproductive is not internal medicine. I think so. Yeah. It's kind of like that big chunk of your body and all the organs in it, which are most stuff that people deal with on a day-to-day basis in terms of like their health and their medical needs. So, so that's what I think of when I think of internal medicine. I haven't started my rotations yet, so I'm excited for this look into internal medicine. Maybe it'll give me a little confidence boost or some like insider information. I don't know before starting. <laughs> I, you know, happy to provide whatever it is, whether that's <laughs> a piece of confidence or like, I don't know, just a funny story about myself that makes you feel better. But yes, <laughs> you're completely right. Um, and we're going to dive in a little bit more into like the specific specialties of internal medicine and just broadly what it is and all the good stuff. So maybe let's just get into it. Yeah, I'm ready. Let's dive in. So I wanted to start by explaining a little bit about what internal medicine is, but before I do that, I want to give a quick disclaimer that internal medicine is a core field of medicine as a practice, but it's practiced very differently in many countries. We're going to be focusing on the American system in this episode, but different countries have different systems and 
They are all valid in their own way. They're just not what I am the most familiar with. But if you are from a different country and you do have a different system and you want to share with us your thoughts on that system, please do so. Uh, We would love to hear from you. But I want to just start at a baseline and give our non-medical friends some background on what internal medicine is as a medical specialty. So the American College of Physicians defines an internist or internal medicine physician as a specialist who applies scientific knowledge and clinical expertise to the diagnosis, treatment, and compassionate care of adults across the spectrum from health to complex illness. Hmm. Yeah. And also just an FYI throughout this episode, I'm going to be using the words internal medicine, IM, and internist more or less interchangeably, but they all like mean the same thing essentially. Yeah. So, but yeah. So internists or internal medicine physicians, at least the way I think about them is that they are the doctors that are best known for their ability to diagnose and treat patients. They Hmm. are superior at the art of diagnosis. And there are some specialties within IM where the doctors maybe will do like procedures on the patient and we'll talk about them a little bit, but mostly internists will collect information from the patient, from their blood work, their labs, et cetera, from their medical record. And they'll bring all that information together to try to figure out what diagnosis covers all of those things it's and like it's not clues. it is it's like and a bunch of the detectives and you're a little you're a little Sherlock Holmes exactly yes figuring it all out <laughs> and of course patients don't always fit the textbook and so it's not going to be like a hundred percent slam dunk sometimes or sometimes you think it's a hundred percent slam dunk and then it's fully not so it's not a perfect <laughs> art but there's definitely a skill to it and they are very adept at that skill. And so once they have a few likely diagnoses that they're thinking about, they will decide from there what tests to order to either rule in or rule out different diagnoses that are on their short list. And that's kind of how they do like acute care or care of problems that come up in the short term. They're like, they came up out of nowhere or they came up like in a shorter time period. And, mm-hmm. and so you have to think about what happened and what's new and take in all this information and then say what you think it is. But these doctors also take care of chronic illnesses mm-hmm. and patients who have multiple diseases at one time, which is literally most, <laughs> if not all patients. Mm-hmm. Just part of life. Yeah, such is life. But now that we know what an internist does, another question came to mind for me, Shar, that I used to be confused about too. I don't know if you know the answer to this. Maybe you do. Can you tell me the difference between a hospitalist and an internist? Okay, my understanding of a hospitalist is that you only work in the hospital. Like you don't do care outside the hospital, which is called outpatient care. So that's what I've always thought of it as, but I, but aren't there internists in the hospital and can ho- internists who work in the hospital only be called a hospitalist? I, I, I'm unsure, I guess. It's confusing. Yes, it is confusing. I was confused. So you're right in that a hospitalist only works in a hospital. They only do inpatient medicine for people who are admitted to the hospital. 
Okay. Internists can work in hospitals, but they also are who you think of as your primary care provider, your PCP. Yes. So internists are PCPs and PCPs can do both. So they have been trained in internal medicine and they did their residency in a hospital. They have hospital training, but it's probably more likely that they're going to be in an outpatient setting, Mm -hmm. which is a clinic setting, the setting that we're used to going to see our doctors in, because I'm assuming most of our listeners have not been in the hospital super extensively, and maybe you have, but still you follow up with your outpatient doctor in clinic. Mm -hmm. And that's who we are most familiar with seeing as our PCP or our internist, if you're an adult. Yes. Yeah. So that's the difference is hospitalists are only in the hospital. Internists can be both, but they more likely are just outpatient because that's where more of the need is. Another question that I found pretty confusing uh, is what subspecialties fall under internal medicine? So Char, let's see (laughs) if we can get through them together. There are many. Um, And this is, again, based on the American Board of Internal Medicine, but there's other boards both in America and in different countries, but we're focusing on this one. So can you tell me any of them that you know, any subspecialties within internal medicine? I got to write this down, keep track. Okay. There's cardio, Mm -hmm. there's pulmonary slash critical care, gastroenterology, there's endocrine. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know what a liver doctor is called, but they're their own thing too. Hepatology. Yes. A nephrologist. Mm-hmm. That's the kidney. Nice. What about the stuff that circulates in your veins and arteries? A hematologist? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Hematology, Hemong. oncology. Mm-hmm. Hemong. What oh. about if I had lupus? Rheumatology. Yep. Uh, is dermatology internal men or no? Do they have their own residency? They're separate, but you do one year of internal med before you go into your dermatology. Yeah. Which a lot of specialties do that. Even if you're not internal medicine, which is even more confusing. I don't know. Okay, What if you have like some weird staff, like infectious disease? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, infectious disease. I think the ones that you listed are the main ones. And then I'll tell you about some of the other side ones. So there's also just a women's health residency fellowship. Like you can oh, yeah, do that. I've heard that. Um, it's pretty that's new. Separate from gynecology. Mm-hmm. There's adolescent medicine, which is different from peds because teenagers are their own special humans. Mm-hmm. Um, there is allergy, asthma, immunology, mm-hmm. kind of like allergists. There's geriatric medicine, sleep medicine, and sports medicine too. Yeah. So there's really a lot. I mean, I probably missed something, but we, we covered a lot of bases. And that's really crazy that all of those fall under the branch of internal medicine. And the question is kind of like, well, what's left in internal? Yeah. (laughs) But it's, I I see internal medicine as kind of the catch all. Mm -hmm. It's when, for example, you have like a bleed in your GI tract, you don't necessarily need to go to the hospital to see GI. Yeah. Yeah. They're like the first barrier like you have to like they you're seen into a medicine doctor and then if they're like this is serious you need to see a cardiologist like then you go exactly. and see a cardiologist yeah 
And it's pretty interesting because something I've learned or seen on the wards, um, and when I say on the wards, I mean like in the hospital when I've been like working there, is that different doctors have different thresholds for when they want to call in a specialist. Some of them have like a higher threshold. They're like, we're internists. We are trained in this. We can take care of them. Mm -hmm. And some people feel more comfortable just having the specialists on board as consultants mm-hmm. in case in case their expertise may be needed. Makes sense. Yeah. That was pretty interesting. And it's definitely rang true. But essentially internal medicine is super broad. And that's mm-hmm. why so many medical students will go into it because they can still keep it general enough. But then if you want to specialize, you can. Mm-hmm. Or if you have no idea what you want to do, but you're like, I kind of like all the things then you can do internal medicine. Exactly. But I actually wanted to jump into a little bit of the history of the field of internal medicine, which was pretty interesting. I definitely did a lot of digging to find this (laughs) because it's pretty tough to find a cohesive history Mm -hmm. of internal medicine as a specialty since it's so all-encompassing. Yeah, And the history, what I found was that it's actually more a about like a timeline and then different points in the timeline on which different specialties kind of peeled off. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I did my best to put something cohesive together. So let's see. All right, Shar, I wanted to ask you though, this one's not an easy question. Oh no. I was going to ask you, what language do you think the terms internal medicine like together came from? And it's not one of the ones you would expect. It's hard. It's not Latin. No. Ancient Greek. No. Is it like an ancient language? No. It's in Europe. No. German. It's a German. (laughs) (laughs) That was a great reaction. (laughs) So the term internal medicine is actually from the 19th century and comes from the German term. And I apologize in advance for my German. Inner medicine. At that time, the 19th century. Internal medicine was the study of pathological causes of different symptoms with components of both the patient's history and laboratory findings. So kind of like how we think about internal medicine today was 19th century internal medicine as well. Makes sense. But before then, it was more of the study of diseases from a purely clinical perspective. Okay. Yeah. Specifically in the 17th century, there was an English doctor named Thomas Sydenham, who was, is, I don't know, I've never heard of this man, but apparently he's called the English Hippocrates. Oh, okay. Good for him. Yeah. I was like, wow, you must be a big deal, my dude. Because Hippocrates was like the big, the big big deal. Yeah. I guess this guy's the English Hippocrates, even though I've never heard of him. Okay. And he was the one to develop this concept of nosology, which is the study of diseases. Okay. And he would dissect corpse and just really analyze the inner workings of the human body. And so in the 17th century, he was kind of the person who was like, yeah, internal medicine, medicine is the study of disease. And then by the 19th century, it was like, no, internal medicine is like the study of the pathology of the disease and how it manifests. and. Mm-hmm. And we diagnose it based on the patient, but also with objective data, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, After the 17th century, an Italian anatomist, Giovanni Battista 
Morgagni. It's a sick name. I know. <laughs> he was around in the 18th century and he played a large role in spreading anatomical knowledge and pathology in the realm of internal medicine. Mm-hmm. And this German physician and bacteriologist Robert Koch in the 19th century was also some important man. I don't know what he did, but he was important. (laughs) I read about him. And so it was also around this time, the 19th century, that internal medicine really took off because doctors by then had started to collect enough knowledge from different bodily systems that there was a reasonable amount to know about everything. And so they actually had this like fund of knowledge that they could say that they had um, as internists. Um, And in the 1830s, medicine started to, it actually started to specialize first in large cities. So the first place that happened was in Paris, but in France as a whole, before that, medical practitioners were either one of three things. So they were either physicians, surgeons, or apothecaries. Okay. I expected surgeons and physicians to be separate. Yeah. As we know from our surgery episode. Indeed. But if you consider these three things, these were like the mainstream medical practitioners. If you consider those the mainstream, there was still a group of practitioners who are outside the mainstream and they were called quote unquote experts. And they were just the experts. experts. (laughs) It sounds like they're like, a superhero like team, <laughs> the, the Avengers, aka the experts. <laughs> it's like a bunch of nerds getting together to save the world. Oh my god, that's awesome! Yeah, but they they were called the experts, and they were made up of like a bunch of like it was like a hodgepodge mix. I swear. So <laughs> there were dentists, oculists. I don't know what those are. So like an I ophthalmologist. Actually, it's like an ophthalmologist optometrist. Okay. Yeah. And then midwives, hernia surgeons. Oh, very specific. Mm-hmm, bone setters and lithotomists. What? What is that? <laughs> yeah, I had to look it up because I was also like, what? Excuse me? <laughs> it says that, I know the answer was even more cryptic than the name. Oh no. So lithotomists were people who performed surgery for the stone. What? Was it like removing <laughs> kidney stones or something? Like, yes. it was that big it of a problem. There was one factor <laughs> for kidney stones. What? What was going on? These people's urine. That's wild. So it wasn't just. It wasn't just kidney stones. Okay. It was like any stones. Okay, in your gall body. stones. Like, what else is there? How many other stones are there? And bladder stones. <laughs> oh, okay. That's still not that many yeah. things, though. <laughs> no, it's definitely not. It's definitely not. Damn. I thought that was so funny. It was like, if you got a stone, these people will stone help you. Doctor. Any stone anywhere. Wow. Uh, but yeah, sadly, this group of experts, this motley crew, uh, unsurprisingly, in a way, were at the bottom of the medical hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, And in the book that I was reading about this, they even said, and I quote, they were treated by surgeons as charlatans. The stone doctors or the experts? All of the experts. I feel like they can't all be charlatans. There's some some legit professions in there. (laughs) I know, like dentists. 
midwives like midwives been around forever what i know but i thought that was super interesting (laughs) and apparently one of the first surgical specialists that emerged from it was like the first peel off of the expert group Mm -hmm. and they were called accoucheurs accoucheurs unclear but they were specialists in birthing. Okay. But they were actually just male midwives. Oh, okay. So yeah. they, had their, they made their own specialty. Interesting. Interesting story about the male midwives. So a male midwife delivered King Louis XIV's mistress's baby. Oh. And this was like him hitting the charts he was top of the charts like max peak famous like oh my God. everyone loved him they became super popular for the next century what? male midwives did they do the same thing that like midwives did so there was really like no difference between them except for that male midwives used forceps what that's all and- I know. And for those of you who don't know what forceps are, they're kind of like these giant tongs that are used to help the baby out of the birth canal if the baby's head is too big and they get stuck. Yeah. I wish you could see me right now, just like moving my arms, like like swinging them upside down. Yeah. And they were metal usually. So understandably, they're not really used anymore because they had a very high likelihood of squeezing the baby's head too hard and crushing their skull. Yeah, not good. That was the male (laughs) midwife part. I was like, what even? (laughs) Charcuterie? Like, I'm so confused. But anyway, so then specialties just started to peel off of like internal medicine. So internal medicine surgery and apothecaries insert Mm -hmm. apothecaries unsure exactly what they are but specialty started peeling off so first came obstetrics then ophthalmology pediatrics etc etc they just start peeling off of internal medicine and this was happening in many different european cities so london paris edinburgh vienna etc etc in the u.s apparently Specialties evolved similar to how they did in Germany, where intense professional competition led to medical elites using science and research to branch off into different specialties. Mm -hmm. That was kind of the driving force was all this new research. But this didn't happen until after 1855, around the time of the Civil War. And a lot of the branching off was met with resistance at first, but the research and academic side was just so intense that the more and more there was like research being done, the more differences they were seeing within specialties. And so it didn't make sense to keep them all within general medicine. Oh, that makes sense. It was getting too much. It was, yeah, too diverse. Yeah. Um, And that's kind of the trend I noticed across various Western countries overall, just like that big summary. But obviously, I don't want to sleep on more Eastern influences. So I tried to touch on them a little bit because they obviously have very rich medical histories, Mm -hmm. as we know. So much medicine was based on herbal remedies, healers, things like that. And an example I have is like in China, one of the legendary founders of Chinese civilization named Huang Di wrote a canon of internal medicine called the 
Huangdi Naijing in the third millennium BCE. In Japan, the medicine transformed from performing religious incantations to remove the influence of evil spirits on the body Hmm. to more healer, herbal-based, natural remedies. In fact, traditional Japanese medicine has some roots in Chinese medicine because they sent emissaries to China to learn more about Chinese medicine, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, that's cool. Because it seemed like China was pretty advanced in terms of medicine. Right. If they had like whole books being written on it. (laughs) For centuries, too, honestly. Yeah, I know. But the concept of internal medicine as a field came about in Eastern countries through missionaries and travelers who were sent from Europe. Mm. So, you know, good old fashioned colonialism. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Love to see it. But yeah, I know that that history was a little disjointed. But the TLDR is that internal medicine started as a combined medicine, surgery, apothecary, general healing kind of trio. Mm -hmm. And as specialties started becoming better studied and seen as more separate, they started peeling off. And the key here is that IM is the through line of all of these specialties. So you really can't be good at any of them if your base in IM is weak. Yeah. That's kind of what I gathered from that very choppy, tumultuous history. But jumping off of that, no, but you I, put it all together for us. I try, you know, <laughs> I try, I try. But jumping off of that, I thought we could talk about the process and training needed to become an internist mm-hmm. and what it looks like to specialize within IM and clarify a few kind of confusing terms as well. There's kind of a lot of definitions and roles I want to go through. Because they're confusing for literally everyone, med students, legitimate doctors, friends of those doctors, friends of the med students. Everyone's confused about who is doing what at what point in their lives. So I thought we could just clarify for everyone what the heck is going on. But the general timeline that you can think about from like baby to doctor is like medical school, residency, fellowship optional and then attending so that's kind of what what the general breakdown is as you know Mm -hmm. so in med school you go m1 through m4 and like obviously there's exceptions like if you take an extra year or you're doing an md phd or whatever i'm not going to talk about those because even i get confused when i'm like i don't know what to call you now you've been here for three extra years doing something and i don't know like you're i don't know what you are anymore (laughs) But at the end of med school, you do this thing called the match, which is basically like a large scale sorority rush Mm -hmm. where essentially you apply to different residency programs and then you get to interview at some. And the ones that you interview at, you make a rank list from your top choice to your bottom choice. And then all the schools do the same with the applicants that they interview. Mm -hmm. So They take everyone and there's a giant algorithm that somehow works. And then you get matched to one program. I have no idea how this happens. Nope. I will probably never know. And that's okay. Because some things, the brain is just not meant to comprehend. Not that Elish and I have been in a sorority, but yet we still know how this works. Oh, we do. What a time. Just that's like your first job is it's all determined by sorority rush. It is. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. So exciting. So you're in residency. You made it through the match. Yay. You are officially a physician because when you graduate from medical school, 
you get that sweet, sweet doctor right in front of your name. You are Dr. Charlotte Thill. You don't have to awkwardly explain anymore that you're just the medical student, that you don't actually know any medicine. You are now the doctor. And so maybe you shouldn't tell them that you still don't know any medicine. And then you're getting ready for some really busy years ahead because residency is a busy, busy time. Mm -hmm. So if you're in your first year of residency, what are you called? You're called, I know this, but my mom keeps going to internist. So like it oh no that's actually so funny you said I that. know it's, um, so so it's just an intern yeah intern there it goes that's why I was like it's it's that but it's not that like I so I'm glad you brought that up because that was actually something I wanted to highlight <laughs> uh, and emphasize bold and italicize apparently yes is that an intern is not the same as an internist so your first year of residency you are called an intern. Mm-hmm. An internist is what we've been talking about. It's someone who practices general medicine. Yes. You have intern year, which is your first year of residency. Then you go on and you become a PGY2. Why is it called PGY? I don't know. <laughs> but you go on to PGY2, then three. PGY. And then, and then on and on, like, depending on what residency program you're in. But if you're just doing internal medicine, it's a three-year program. So you'd be a PGY2 and then three. And usually they're not even called that. They're just called senior residents because they are not interns anymore. They're more senior. Yeah. Um, and so on a team, for example, at the hospital, um, at least on my teams, uh, there's usually one senior, two interns, and then anywhere from one to maybe four med students on the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of how that works. And then does it stop there? No, it does not. I mean, obviously, like Alicia definitely doesn't stop there. (laughs) Duh. So, I mean, technically, you could stop there. Yes, it's true. You could finish your IM residency and just want to be a hospitalist or an internist. And that would be great if that works for you. Mm -hmm. But if you want to specialize, you have to do what's called a fellowship. But there's no, like, matching sorority rush thing like that. It's just like a straight up application. Yeah. And once you get into a fellowship program, they call you a fellow. Amazing. (laughs) Very simple. I know. I like it. And then once you finish your fellowship in, for example, cardiology or gastroenterology, AKA GI or something like that, Mm -hmm. then you can apply to be an attending. And that's basically just like the most senior doctor on the team. Yep. Yeah. And once you're in attending, you are just a full, full human adult doctor. You are doing your own thing. Yes, you are. Kinda. <laughs> and they, well, so they actually do, I would say the least amount of paperwork and writing on the team, but they of course have the most responsibility, um, at least on the inpatient side where patients are admitted to the hospital and, you know, the med student, the residents they're the ones like immediately taking care of the patient but you always what's called staff you're like oh I'll staff the patient with the attending Mm. that's where you like present to the attending you tell them what's going on with the patient you tell them what you think is wrong and what your plan is and if they agree with the plan then they'll be like great good go do that plan if they don't agree with the plan then they might be like oh I think we should alter it or do this and that Mm -hmm. and then you do that because ultimately whatever the attending wants 
is what you do. But from start to finish, we have med student, intern, senior resident, optional fellowship, and then ultimately attending. Mm -hmm. And actually, even within specialties, you can specialize even further. Instead of just doing a regular cardiac fellowship, you could do cardiac critical care or electrophysiology, which is like reading EKGs, being like a super specialist at reading EKGs. Uh, You could do interventional cardiology, which is where you do more procedural stuff, like you can do um, cardiac catheterizations, where you take clots out of people's heart arteries and stuff like that. It's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. But those are all just different kinds of cardiac fellowships that you apply for. It goes on and on for every single specialty. I know. So basically, all of this to say, it's just a lot of school. Never ending. And- once you are an attending, you still do school stuff, new drugs and new research coming out all the time. And like to be a good physician, you have to keep up with it so that you're up to date. And then you have to retake your board exams, which are like the exams you take to be certified as a doctor. You have to retake those every like period of time. So you have to restudy. Every 10 years. Yeah. yeah. So you're always- and a lot changes in 10 years. Yeah, exactly. That's why you have to keep up with it throughout the year. So you're not just like, cramming 10 years of information. Um, so being a doctor is really committing to being a lifelong learner. So true. And then one thing I did want to clarify that I also like used to confuse a lot was just like there's a difference between an intern and an internist, there is a difference between internal medicine and family medicine. Mm-hmm. That's confusing. I agree. It is. Do you want to tell me what you know about that distinction? My understanding of family medicine is that like family medicine is like the true catch-all, I guess, because in internal medicine, you only do adult medicine, like 18 and older. And in family medicine, you can also do pediatrics. So 18, like younger than 18. And you can also do parts of OB-GYN. So you can like do pregnancy care and stuff like that too. So you're kind of doing like everything someone would see a primary care doctor for, like that's, that's you. You can take care of a whole family, the kids and the parents and the birth of the kids, like everything. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. That's exactly true. And yeah, they take care of infants to geriatric patients and everyone in between. I'm pretty sure family medicine doctors can deliver babies if they're not complicated. Yeah, especially Um, in rural areas, like family medicine is hugely important for giving like everybody the care they need. Yeah. And they just have really strong relationships with their patients because some of these families have been seeing the same doctor for years, Mm -hmm. which is really special. And like, it's a family. Um, So like you could have your child and your child to see that doctor. And then that child could grow up, get married and, or not married and have a child again. And like, it just can keep cycling as long as the doctor is working. (laughs) Like you can just continuously go there your whole life and your whole family. I know. Yeah. And they just know a ton of medicine, like so much medicine. So much medicine. So to kind of tie in this segment together and end it, I wanted to bring it all back to women and throw some stats. So, so in 2018, the Association of American Medical Colleges, also known as the AAMC, reports that within internal medicine, the subspecialty that has the most women is med peds, which has 52.8%. Mm-hmm. 
of people who identify as women. And I actually realized we didn't talk about medpeds. Yeah, medpeds is also very confusing because it's like, why is medpeds different from family, which is different from internal? Yeah. But medpeds is basically like you get double board certified to be an internist and a pediatrician. Yeah. Yeah. So you can do either one or both at the same time. Yeah. But it doesn't include all the stuff that family medicine includes like OB-GYN and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And nothing like super specialized either. So you're just a general pediatrician, but within pediatrics, I mean, it's like internal medicine for kiddos. So you can also specialize within pediatrics. Yeah. It's the same thing, just smaller people. Smaller people actually have different diseases and issues, but it's like so same concept. They can do all the same things, same organ systems. I also looked into the specialties within internal medicine that have the fewest women. Char, can you- guess maybe which ones you think have the fewest women actually have no idea um i'm just gonna say hepatology no (laughs) so they didn't have so they actually didn't have hepatology as its own separate thing though it is separate but i kind of put it together with like gi liver gil gill as we say but actually the specialty with the fewest was interventional cardiology you know what you know what i'm not <laughs> i'm not surprised i'm really i'm not gonna say anything more i'm just gonna say i'm not surprised <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes that's so all interventional cardiology <laughs> interventional cardiology at 7.7 percent of women wow And then general cardiology is about twice that, but still less than 20%. So like 14.1%. And then actually GI was pretty low too at only 17.6%. Yeah. And you know what? If I had to take a guess, now that I'm actually looking at this like all at once, I'm kind of not surprised by these numbers for many reasons, including... Something about them that is that that stands out to me is that these three have a very large procedural component to them. Yeah, especially GI is like you wouldn't think so, but it does. Oh, it does. I could talk about that all day long because I was on a GI liver service (laughs) and we did endoscopies every single day. Oh my god, every single day. Did you do one? I didn't do one because. I'm even residents like don't get to do endoscopies, but I did get to hold the scope in practice on a dummy model and it was pretty fun. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. But before I go into our discussion, I just wanted to share a few quick reflections on my time on my internal medicine rotation, spilling a little bit of tea here and there. (sighs) Nothing major. I want to hear the tea. No, give us the major stuff. Okay, I'm just gonna, you know, share my thoughts, Charlotte. So to start off, I just want to say I was something that struck me was that I felt so lucky to have so many amazing interns and senior residents that I got to work with who identified as women, they were so competent, so kind, and just amazing teachers, humans, doctors, they were the bomb. The one thing I did notice though, that was really salient for me was, so I started my internal medicine rotation at the Veterans Affairs Hospital, Mm -hmm. the VA. 
And at the VA, I had four different attendings in four weeks, which is not typical, but whatever, it happens. And all of those attendings were men. Mm -hmm. Then I started at the university hospital and I was on the GI liver specialty service. And on GI liver, I had a ton of attendings just generally because on GI liver at any given time, you have two attendings that see patients with you. So you have the GI attending who does like all the luminal stuff. So anything from like mouth to butthole is like covered by this doctor. I need to say this before I forget because someone when we were learning GI once referred I think it was like a doctor giving a lecture. Basically, he was like, yeah, so humans are basically donuts. Like, <laughs> just hold the front, hold the back, and they connect. And the whole connection is GI. And you are basically a donut. And I was like, oh, my God. And I, it took me a long time not to think of people as donuts. I had to throw that in. Sorry. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. I, uh... Now you're going to think of people as donuts. And, uh, yeah, so... At any given time, there's always two attendings, one for like anything donut related and then <laughs> one for anything liver related. Okay. This makes sense. Yeah. Why they would yes. go together. And so I, and so I just had a lot of attendings and it actually wasn't until my very last week on GI liver that I had a female attending for the first time in my two months on inpatient medicine. Wow. And that's kind of your, that was the end of your inpatient medicine too. It was. Then I went into outpatient and I had multiple female attendings, but that was just a really salient point for me. I remember getting to my last week of GI and being like, wow, this doctor is my first and last female attending on inpatient medicine. So yeah, Yeah. I thought that was really interesting, but Mm -hmm. I think having the seniors I had and the interns I had did make me feel better because it showed me the direction that the specialty was headed. Oh, uh, cause I had a lot, you know, if you think about it yeah. in a last half full kind of way, it was like, Oh, there were, I had a lot of female seniors who were so amazing. And like, for example, on GI liver, both of the seniors that I had wanted to go into GI liver. And I was like, wow, that's great. Yeah. So that was cool. And then something else I wanted to bring up less on the doctor end of it and more on just what it was like being a woman medical student and mm-hmm. uh, working with patients was I experienced and saw and also just heard a lot of stories about and from my female classmates mm. of just experiencing like subtle microaggressions, Aww. mostly made by patients about us being female, like and, and they were subtle, you know, in a way of like one person I know was asked if she was the nurse by the patient, yeah. even though she specifically had said and introduced herself as the medical student multiple times. Yeah. And like one patient called a female classmate, like instead of calling her by her name or calling her the medical student, he called her by like a physical characteristic. Oh, like yeah, that. it wasn't good. It wasn't like a sexual comment, but it was still not. Good. It's like, so dehumanizing. It is. Yeah. And if she were a male, that wouldn't have happened. And granted, the interns and like residents that we worked, seniors that we worked with did not have any tolerance for that. So if any of that ever came up and you told them about it or they were there, they would shut it down immediately, which was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as a medical student, it's really hard to do those things. 
Yeah. And so it was important that they let us know from the beginning that they were not going to tolerate it. But Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and most of the times, you know, things like that would happen to us. And, and I, I usually don't blame patients for their ignorance because they're sick and, and I understand that there's already a power dynamic with me, mm-hmm. this not sick person coming in and taking care of you. But if they were intentionally being malicious or just making overtly problematic comments, that's not okay. Yeah, for sure. But overall, I had a wonderful experience on my internal medicine rotation. And I'm definitely considering it for a potential career choice. Who knows? Yeah. It's just really patient facing. And I felt like my contributions to the team actually had some kind of value, which was really rewarding. Mm-hmm. And I got to know my patients super well, which was so fun. Got to spend a lot of time with them and it made the whole experience really meaningful. So overall, super positive. Mm-hmm. And I think just like a lot of learning points, both medically, I mean, I learned a ton. I learned like all of medicine, yeah, but then also how to work in a hospital, how to work the computer system, the medical records, talking to patients, taking a history, doing all the things that you kind of have to do. I feel like I got to do that. And that was really cool. Yeah. I'm excited to do it myself based on your experience. I know I'm excited for you. (laughs) Yeah. But those are just my quick reflections. And that's actually all I have for my overall broad strokes, internal medicine (laughs) spiel. So I thought we could dive into some questions. I'm ready. Let's do it. Yay. Okay. All right. We're back. Back, back, back. So Charlotte, tell me, what are you thinking? What are your thoughts? Well, I thought that was a great overview of internal medicine. It is confusing. Medicine's confusing. So it's nice to have it all laid out and explained for everyone, not just people not in medicine, but even people in medicine. Like, I'm so confused nice. most of the time. Yes. And then what I found really interesting, one, was that internal medicine, like the name, the beginning kind of starting in like Germany wowed by that just random just because we don't really talk about germany and medicine yeah. all that much no we really don't doesn't come up so that was just random but interesting and also just like the way the profession transformed from being like oh we're talking about diseases we're gonna talk about the pathology of disease and just like finding the true niche for internal medicine is interesting mm-hmm. because it might seem like, oh, if you're, if you're like a doctor of diseases versus a doctor of pathology of diseases, like, isn't that the same thing? But like the thought process that goes into it is like very different. And that's like interesting to see how yeah. it shaped the question. Cause like the pathology of diseases, like what is exactly happening in your body that's like going wrong and all those things together are causing this disease. And I wonder if before that, they didn't really like care about those things. It was just like, you have this disease, diagnosis, treatment, no worry about like what caused it. Because if you know what causes it, then you, you're able to like prevent it. And that allows you to do preventative care. And like, I wonder by switching the profession like that, if it changed how people like approached patient care. So I thought that was kind of interesting and cool. Yeah, I love that thought. That is very interesting because you're so right. Like 
learning about the pathology or the ways that disease manifests at a microscopic level, at a cellular level, Mm -hmm. is how a lot of really targeted treatments have come about. Mm -hmm. I think about a lot of rheumatological treatments. For example, all of the biologic treatments that we give antibodies, for example, Mm -hmm. to help um, people with different inflammatory or autoimmune conditions. Those are very targeted and you have to know how the disease works Mm -hmm. and what goes wrong in the body in order to give such a targeted treatment. But when you give targeted treatments like that, you can decrease a lot of side effects. So that's kind of where the field has like evolved. Mm -hmm. But I do agree. I wonder if the same evolution would have happened if that switch didn't occur. Yeah. Or even things like lung diseases and people having like really complex lung issues and just like treating it and having them go on with their lives compared to like looking at like, oh, maybe the area they live in or the jobs they have in these environmental exposures to like pollutants and dangerous things that people are breathing in, like that's what's causing the disease. And you can be like, wait, maybe we should protect those workers or we should move those like plants out of areas, move people out, allows you to do things to help prevent disease because you know what's causing it. So very good shift for medicine school. And then also, of course, the expert like specialties were so funny because I was, <laughs> I really expected you to be like, oh, the, the non-mainstream ones were like, oh, be kind and like more of the stuff that's not internal medicine now. I guess I expected, but there was not, it was so different. It was just <laughs> way different things. It was hilarious. I love it. I know. That's funny you brought that up because my next question is of those expert subspecialties, which one would you most enjoy or see yourself doing? I mean, this is a very obvious answer for me. I would do midwives since I'm considering OB. In a more hilarious way, I think the Oculus sounds fun. I don't know what they do. Eyes are interesting. They're weird balls inside your head. And I wonder if they worked with the eyes and like what they did back then. I have no idea what they did. I'm almost concerned it was like medieval torture on the eyes or something. Like, (laughs) I don't know, but that one sounds kind of fun. I think I would try that out. That that does sound fun. It also is so funny because one of my attendings, like over the last couple of months, one of the interns we had uh, was going into ophthalmology, but her first year as an intern, you have to do internal medicine. And he would call her a future eye dentist. And I was like, <laughs> honestly, that's accurate. Yeah. Like she, because the surgeries are so tiny. It's like, okay, if that's ophthalmology today, then what the heck were Oculus doing? Yeah, like, like what? That's so funny. Eye dentist. You know. I can see that. What about you? Yeah. What do you want to do? Um, I really liked the hernia surgeons. I just I thought see that was that so for funny. You. Especially because you I were know. interested I, like, in general surgery. I was, <laughs> yeah, I am still. It's just like so funny because I had that one experience where I was in like basically a hernia clinic mm-hmm. where I saw a bunch of dudes with like a bunch of hernias <laughs> and I had to like push in the hernia back into their body. <laughs> so basically you were made experience. for this. I know, but I could be a stone doctor too. I wouldn't be upset. A stone doctor. (laughs) But on a more serious note, I guess I just wanted to end by asking you as you go into your clinical year next year and you're thinking about what you want to do and how you want to approach different rotations, what are some goals that you have for yourself for your internal medicine rotation, whatever that may be, Mm -hmm. both generally and then as they pertain to how you as a woman want to interact with your patients, with your team, 
I know it's a hard question to ask because it's really abstract, Mm -hmm. but if you have any goals for yourself. Yeah. One goal I definitely have is to always say yes. Like if someone asks, like, do you want to do this? Do you want to like talk to this person and try this thing? Like I've heard always say yes. Cause if you say no, then you might never have that chance again. And that might be your one chance to really learn something. So that's something I want to push myself to do. Cause I'm definitely a person who's just like more, okay. Just being there and like doing something when someone asks me instead of like asking myself to do it. So it's something I want to like push myself to do in I am rotation. And then also in I am, I want to really work with like developing patient relationships. I guess this really applies to like any rotation I would start on, but I guess with I am, like if you're in the hospital, I don't know where to go with this, but like, I just want to be better, like actually getting to know my patients, getting to know their social history, like things could be contributing to what's going on. Cause a lot of conditions that you might have in internal medicine are a lot of things that are like kind of preventable in ways. If you understand what's going on, like in their larger life. And that takes a like really good bedside manner to be able to like talk to patients, make them feel very secure and like open with you to open up about things. And that applies to a lot of specialties in general, but like I am just a big overarching one. And it's such a long time to be on like the same ish rotations all the time and really like hammer in those skills, I guess. And then I think it's the same with like me as a woman interacting with my patients. I want to be able to make women feel really secure and like in their doctors and how they feel talking to them. Like a lot of people feel shot down or not listened to by their doctors or their problems are just being equated to reproductive issues. And I like, don't want my patients to feel that way. And then also as a medical student going in, like I want to, I guess, break the stereotypes from like providers and patients who don't understand like what it, that women are in medicine now. And like, there is a level of respect to that too. Like, I don't want to shy down from like being disrespected. And like I said, like you were saying, like, it's hard because as a medical student, like it's hard to say something to an attending or say something like to a patient if they make a rude comment. But I think there's still ways you can like improve on the culture. I've heard from older students, like once you finish a rotation, if you want to report an attending, like after they finish your evaluation, like you can, you can go all in and like those things will be addressed so that the students behind you don't have the same issue as you. And I think that's so important because it sounds so scary to like report someone for doing something that makes you uncomfortable because of like who you are because it could affect your grades and like your future but if you can get through that section to where you can then at least let it impact the people behind you that's the best thing that you can do like it's not always just about you it's about the greater community of people experiencing the same thing so those are some things I want to like think about going into rotations in general I guess but I am as well I think those are really good things to be thinking about. And especially on IM, you have so much time with your patients mm-hmm. that you do have the ability to get to know them really well. And, and just like taking things in stride, if, if things hit you or make you feel uncomfortable, I think something that is like really valuable, at least was valuable to me, was valuable to my peers. And then to older students I've talked to is like having people in your corner at home that you can kind of vent to Mm -hmm. so that you don't end up taking it out on your patients, like take out your frustrations on your patients or your attendings. Because I think a lot of inpatient medicine, especially as a student, you're just navigating the space where you are being constantly evaluated all the time and yet you don't know most things. (laughs) And so you feel constantly incompetent 
major imposter syndrome and kind of like making sure that you don't lose yourself in that, I think can be really hard. I've seen, if I'm being honest, like I've seen some, some peers just really, they shift there. It's like a switch. Like Mm -hmm. they're my friends. And then suddenly we're in clinic and they, it's just different, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's not always in a bad way, but it's definitely unsettling. Yeah. And I think like, if you're a medical student listening to this, or, you know, anyone going into medicine who might be experiencing something like this or will soon, I think like trying to stay true to yourself is the most important thing because I think it's so easy to get lost. Yeah, for sure. Especially when you're trying to like yeah. put on a face and like be like, especially when you're clinic, like you're like always trying to put, be like your best self. Like that's the big thing about being a doctor in general. Like you can't take the energy from one patient to the next patient. You always have to be like ready. You just it's like clean slate dealing with each person like in their own problems, but you kind of have to like put on a face to do that. You have to like express your own emotions for a second so that you can focus on the patient. But like when you're always putting on a face, you also don't want to like lose what you care about and like how you feel about things in that moment. Yeah, it's hard, but it's a learned skill and we're learning it. Yes, exactly. Yay. Well, thanks for listening. Yeah, of course. If you like that episode and you want to hear more, you can subscribe to our podcast. We are available on all the podcasting apps wherever you get yours. And if you like us and you want to leave a rating and review, that would be super amazing. And Apple Podcasts is the best place to do that. Yeah, then you can also follow us on social media. We have an Instagram and a Facebook, which are at From Scarts to Scrubs. And we have a Twitter, which is at FSTS underscore podcast. And you can also check out our website, which is from scriptscrubs.com, where we have our show notes, we have sources, we have merch, we have all those fun things. And lastly, to end the episode, here is to the women who have fought for us to be where we are today. And maybe do the same for those who come after us. Yay. Okay, bye, everyone. Thanks. See you next time. Bye.